episode 193 of the sleeper in the bus podcast i am paul spore once again joined on a thursday by mr eno saris good afternoon eno how are you i'm good i'm good i want the season to begin i'm, I'm getting so anxious i really am got to have a, a, a my first real draft on tuesday jason collette and i teamed up uh squared off against our own mike Podhorzer. so big fan graphs influence in the labor mixed draft we'll talk a bit about that want to get some of the housekeeping stuff out of the way uh, if you can please go into itunes and rate and review the show we love having uh the feedback there also on twitter if you have a question for us you can hit us up at eno saris uh or at spore we'll answer some fantasy questions or or just you know kind of any baseball question that you might have also you can comment in the post that always appears on rotographs and we try to get to those as soon as possible as well a little bit light on the news but uh, that's all right we'll cover the four bits of news that we do have talk about labor and then finish the al west team previews with seattle and texas let's dive right in you know um you got a chance to look over the labor mix draft that, that uh, Colette and I teamed up on and Podhorzer was in. How did the draft strike you when you first glanced over everything? Well, I think it's pretty interesting that the two Fangraphs guys came up with probably two of the three controversial picks in the first two rounds. I mean, uh, Clayton Kershaw, maybe it's not that controversial at this point. There's been a lot of arguments made about how great Kershaw is and how valuable he is and, 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 you know, straight dollars to donuts. If that's, is that a phrase? Yeah. Um, do- I don't know what it means, but I know it's, I do know it's a phrase do- <laughs> dollars to donuts. I don't know when that was a, a, a measure but, how, uh, out of my mouth for some reason. Anyway, you know, it, when it comes to like valuing what uh, Kershaw should do next year, he's, he's one, you know, first, second or third in the game. And probably for, maybe first, because he really is that far beyond pitching, the other pitchers. I mean, he really has separated himself. The the only question when it comes to Kershaw is just, you know, how how you approach the game and how how you know uh, how willing you are to risk, I guess, um, the catastrophic injury because the I guess you know hitters and pitchers get get hurt about as often as each other, but pitchers stay on the DL much longer. So mm-hmm. you're really just talking about the catastrophic injury. You're really just talking about like sort of shoulders and elbows. And, you know, Kershaw's young enough, um, you know, it doesn't really uh, strike me as, as, you know, riskier than, uh, like, say, Chris Sale, uh, who Erickson took at the end of round two, you know, had an elbow injury last year, throws a lot of sliders, and has been sort of pointed at as a guy with iffy mechanics or whatever. So, you know, Kershaw doesn't really hit those same buttons, and so you can make a pretty good argument for taking him there. I mean, I might not have just because it's just not... I'm, maybe I'm old school at this point, but I, I'll um, probably I, I like to take five category hitters, and this is relevant to to Mike Podhorzer's controversial pick, which he took Billy Hamilton, um, you know, after the turn in the second uh, at about twenty, um, and you know I prefer to take rounded, well-rounded guys because what I'm trying to do is keep my options open as long as mm-hmm. possible, and you know as much as I understand Podhorzer's argument and and believe in it, which is that. Uh, Hamilton represents more of the stolen base uh, pool than Stanton represents the homer pool because, you know, there are stolen bases that we don't own in fantasy. There are stolen bases out there, middle infielders, backup guys that are stealing bases that, that we won't own. 
And so when it comes to the owned pool of homers and stolen bases, Hamilton can make a bigger difference. So I, I understand that. Um, and it's, it's a good argument. But at the same time, if you take Hamilton and then you're looking at, at different sleepers or, or different guys later on, you, you kind of are pushed into the power bin. You can't take, you know, say just uh, th- let's say Chu fell too far and you're looking at Chu or you're looking at somebody else where Chu can offer you some stolen base value. You might make a bad decision and take, you know, like a Jay Bruce or something. And I'm saying not necessarily that either of those is a bad situation. It always depends on where you are. But let's say you did that because of Billy Hamilton, um, where maybe choose the better bet for a more balanced line. So anyway, um, I, I think those two are interesting. And then I also think uh, amazing turn. Um, uh, Brett Sayre and Mike Gianella at Baseball Perspectives took Troy Tulowitzki and Ian Desmond uh, back-to-back around the turn. And uh, I just think that's amazing. I think I think it's really I think it's really great actually. I mean, with power down, there aren't as many forty and fifty home runs. I mean, if there are any, um, you know, so you're not you're not shooting yourself in the foot taking a couple of twenty five homer guys, and um, they're really nailing middle infield, and they're really nailing everybody else. That, that that's the thing. That's what I liked about it. They, 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 they. What you know? I think I've heard the term "drown the pool" uh, on it on everybody else, and and I, I kind of liked it. I, I mean, it got a lot of hate, and as I, as I kind of thought more about it, I, first off, I love Desmond. That's just a guy that I, I absolutely love this year. I think he has a strong case to be the number one shortstop. Uh, with three straight 2020 seasons and Tulo's constant injuries. Not only that, but it's a backup for Tulo should the, the inevitable kind of happen. Then they only have to go out and look for a middle infielder. They don't have to find a specific shortstop. Additionally, and they couldn't have projected this, but they they also got a gift in the third round when Justin Upton fell all the way back to them. Because honestly, Tulowitzki Upton, if it, if it had been something like that, I would have totally been on board if they'd done that. And they ended up getting an Upton in round three. So their first three picks there, it's it was really great. I mean, I understand the, the initial knee-jerk reaction to kind of be like, oh, two shortstops, why? But then when you really think about it, I can get it and I can get behind it. Um, and, and those are the two best pretty easily. You know, Ray, Reyes is still good. Uh, I love Castro that, that Jason and I got. But those two are pretty heads and shoulders above. Um, well, depending on how you feel about Hanley. I, I, he never shows up on shortstops. Um, in fact, even on the art, on the labor mix draft board, he's colored green for outfield. So I forget about him sometimes. But, yeah, he's also a good shortstop I, eligible I think, player. I, yeah, I uh... – all the positional uh, arguments for these guys, I, I understand. I, I even said, I even started that. But I think you can almost take the names and, and positions off of those picks, and they're not that far off of what a first and second rounder should look like. I mean, you're talking, you said 2020. Would you take a, a, a 2020 outfielder? You know, Michael Brantley went eight picks later, you know, and Michael Brantley, you know, might not even hit 20 homers. So, you know, I think I would take Ian Desmond outfielder sometime in the second round. So he's not moving him up rounds. He's moving him up a couple spots and it, and it pairs nicely with his first one. And if you're talking about, you know, Torchilowitzki outfielder, 300 hitting, you know, 25 homer with a 30 homer upside. I mean, that sounds like, you know, who does that sound like? It sounds a little bit like a Brian Braun who went four picks later, three picks later. So he's not like, they're not really reaching on these guys. They're just the way that they paired it. It's a snake draft phenomenon it's not something that you'd probably do in an auction league and uh, sure. 
but it's a, I, it was fun. So, I mean, the three of you guys, I think, did the most interesting things in the first round. And just judging from what industry the industry's doing and from the rest of this draft, that Scherzer, Hernandez, and Sale went in the second round, this isn't stuff that used to happen as much in industry drafts. I think that the Kershaw pick, um, you know, made and, – and people wrote about it. Fred Zinke wrote about the Kershaw pick. Um, and, you know, so I think uh, – I don't, I don't think it was far off. And, it, it, you know – I think it was, I, it's just not, it would have made me, uh, you know. No, and I get that. I get that. <laughs> it, it's not something that we plan to do. Like I said um, on Sirius that night, we weren't trying to throw a smoke screen on Sunday when we said we were going to take the, the leftover of McCutcheon Stanton after Zinke. It was just that once we got to talking on Sunday and Monday, we, we got a little bit more keen on going ahead and saying, let's go Kershaw and then build the offense. And, and we'll be all right. We got some heat because uh, some folks didn't think we put a, a, a good enough number two behind Kershaw and quote unquote wasted it. We don't agree with that. We think Cobb is, is kind of a future star. Um, he's got he's to show that he can do it for 190 plus innings, but the talent is already there. So we're very happy with the Kershaw Cobb. Uh, one-two punch there and you can read up how I feel about all 29 picks on rotographs I did two parts yesterday and today um, very interesting draft though. a lot of fun these drafts you know this early in February so interesting because so much is unsettled if you, it'd be really interesting if we took the same groups or same group of people and did another draft in one month and and even run that out as a league too, just to see how different it might be well it's a, you know it, it's a good way to make everybody stick to their guns and pick their sleepers. And yes. I think it's more valuable to readers to have it this early because really everyone has to take who they, who they believe in. And so that's when, when I, when I, I said, you know, right off the bat that I really endorsed both of y'all's drafts and I, there's things I really like about them. And, you know, when I, it, it, when it's actually sort of, especially when I look in the latter half of the draft, then I'm just like, yes, you know, like Salsa, yes, Mm -hmm. you know, Brett Cecil, yes, you know, um, Gossman, Han, you know, Castellanos, Chase Anderson, you know, Robbie De La Rosa, even Daniel Norris is your last pick. Garrett Jones has a chance to, 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 to push his way into that lineup and pairing him with Alex Rodriguez. That's smart. I, you know, I really liked the second half of your drafts. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying I don't like the first half. I just no. uh, that I thought we killed it. And then with uh, with Potorch, even though I might have not, not have done Hamilton and Kinsler in the third, um, felt a little bit reachy. But um, you know, at the point at which he got Longoria, I liked him. Um, you know, I love Betts. And then downdraft, I really like Potorcher when he uh, when he went Casimir uh, Paxton Bauer. Um, and then his Kang- downdraft pitching was was impressive. Yeah, Casimir Paxton Bauer and then Kang uh, CC in the in the twenty fifth round. Yes, please. Uh, and then he took my you know took my Alan Webster in the in the twenty seventh or something. So I really like that. But um, the one thing I would say for y'all and and we've been talking how much I love Josh Townsend, which it's just interesting because we it's such a deep uh, position. You can you can go. I mean, you took him in the second. David Wright went in the seventh. Yeah. Um, you know, Manny Machado went in the tenth or eleventh. Zimmerman in the ninth. I mean, Zimmerman in the ninth is, I think, sort of an inspired pick. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that pick, and um, you know, we weren't necessarily looking there, but he kept being high on our board. And we're like, well, 
you know, I know we got a third baseman, but we do need a corner. We ended up loading up on third base kind of incidentally between Donaldson, Castellanos, Plouffe, and A-Rod. Um, Fred Zinke ended up having to wait pretty deep. He punted third after a while once once it got to a certain point. So he ended up with David Fries, Luis Valbuena, and the hilarious thing. He's known for being kind of a, uh, a trader, big-time trader, ready to go at a moment's notice. Literally five minutes after the draft, he sent us an email looking for some third base help. <laughs> yeah, he wrote about how he how he hates his Fries Valbuena situation. So, yeah, you guys are a natural mix. And Donaldson, I, I love him to death. I think he can hit 35 homers. People ask about health on the turf. I don't know. I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, obviously, there was that whole bean thing about whether or not he plays hurt, but I don't know how true that whole deal was. And I do think Donaldson is the best third baseman. I know Rendon is there, but Rendon is going to be played at second, I think. He should be, yeah. And well, he got right so, and Bryant. So, yeah, uh, Jake Seeley is going to put him at second base for sure. And I just don't know that Rendon is going to um, steal as many bases. So, you know, I do think there's a little bit of power growth left. So I think he'll be a good pick. But I don't know that um, he's going to steal 20 bases again. So anyway, you know, but up and down, uh, maybe one of my favorite drafts. You know, I love a lot of what you guys did and what what um, Podhorzer did. But I Giannella's draft just i really liked it a lot of it you know like it you know if you look at different parts of it it's just really good stuff i mean Pujols, he's old but it's a redraft league you don't care as much about that i hate mm -hmm. you know the wainwright blackman pairing there uh it's not my favorite because you know, i'm just a little bit worried about how much regression is going to hit blackman i'm worried about injury for wainwright i think given that he was just about to go on a Cole arietta de grom see uh, shopping trio is amazing I thought, yeah, that's really good. So he really, I think he would have done a lot better um, to take something else with Wainwright, the Wainwright slot, maybe an outfielder, um, you know, maybe pair two outfielders with Blackman or I don't know. I mean, you know, he didn't have the strongest catching core. Um, Norris is good, but Wellington Castillo, I don't know. I think I would just take Wainwright out and take a catcher there. I mean, he yeah. still has Mezzarocco on the board. And maybe he has Mesoraco baked in for more regression than I do. But, um, you know, I, I like Mesoraco a lot. There's, there was, you know, there's something he could have done differently there. But then after that, I'm back on board with him. Cole Arietta, DeGrom, Duda, Spawn. Spawn and Myers is a really nice pairing because they're both super underrated. Not being maybe flashy, but they're going to give you good stats. The deeper your league is, the better they are. And um, Headley Lawry. You know, I, I just really, you know, I thought they did a really good job. I, I hate Jared Cozart um, down the bottom and C.J. Wilson. So, you know, they lost me a little bit. But then they got me right back with Noah Syndergaard and Anthony DiSclefani. So um, they did, you know, they did a really good job. I, I, I sort of was checking them out. I like some of what uh, Craig Glazer and Corey Schwartz did. Miguel Cabrera and Yasiel Puig um, with Greinke and Chapman as their first four picks. And then Gaddis. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty sharp. Yeah, that's a really nice, fun first five. I mean, that just that covers all their bases. Get some really elite talent at a lot of different positions. So, and then if Tanaka hits in the tenth, uh, going back to the BP guys, I agree with you 100 percent on Wainwright. I, I legitimately hated that pick, but they backed it up so nicely with that trio of Cole, Arietta, Degrom that I can almost forgive the Wainwright pick. Not that they're looking for my forgiveness, but I can almost say, okay, 
whatever. Maybe maybe he is. Maybe he does have one more good year of kind of you know 200 innings and being good. Because then then you're looking at those four together. And I love Weaver in the 16th. Um, you know, a lot of the picks that you mentioned, I did too. I don't want to cover those same ones. Even Granderson in the 17th. I have a strong bias toward him, though. Everyone kind of knows that. I named my dog <laughs> after him, so you know, I I, I get that. But you know, you're getting 20 homers kind of guaranteed in the 17th round with the potential for more. If he doesn't piss away two months the way he did last year, you could be back up in the 25 upper 20s, maybe pushing 30 again, too. Is, so they had a good a draft. catcher league, though? Pardon me? Is it a two-catcher league? It is a two-catcher league, and that's why I agree with you on the Wainwright pick. Oh, maybe they could have gone with a Mesoraco okay. or a Gomes. Well, like Williamson Castillo, I don't – you know. They're betting on a trade. They they mentioned that on Twitter that th- with the last pick, since they punted their 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 second catcher, they're just betting yeah. on a trade with him. And if not, they'll kind of figure it out. So uh, they they knew they they openly. I saw GNL. I was talking with him on Twitter after the draft. They know that that's kind of a punt, but they're not that worried about it. I think they feel like they could trade out of it too because they like their pitching depth so much. So they're they're not sweating that. Uh, they did just, a lot of the uh, the shallow shallowing the pool thing. They. They paired uh, the two shortstops. Then they paired Colin, uh, Colin Arietta. Mm-hmm. Uh, they paired uh, Spawn and Myers. Headley they, Lowry. Headley and Lowry. They play. They paired uh, Granderson and Fowler. Uh, so they they did it a bunch of times. And then Andrew Haney and Noah Syndergaard late in the game. So they they <laughs> they they probably made a lot of people curse. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they they were taking picks off uh, left and right, like you said, doubling up on those positions every time not only can hurt your competition, but obviously is a great help to you because they were quality players. So um, I'll post the results to all that in the, in the show post. You'll be, you'll be able to see pod Horser kind of defend his Hamilton pick. I'm with you where I wouldn't necessarily do it, but you can't really come away from his reasoning and, and say it was uh, stupid or anything like that. You might not think that you would do it, but the reasoning is sound. And, and that's really all I'm asking for when I'm, when I see somebody's pick, I just want to kind of get an idea of what they're doing. Let me just hear your reasoning, and his was solid. So, uh, and he, got, he got my boy Jorge Soler. Oh my gosh! Oh, we love that pick. Uh, yeah. Jason and I were definitely and Grandal. That, that that's a great. I don't love Tomas, but if you take Tomas out, Weeder, Soler, Tomas, Escobar, Grandal. I mean, that's that's a fun little run he went on there. And I like his spec, uh, his spec closers with Reed, uh, Addison Reed, Neftali Feliz, and even Jonathan Broxton because there's nothing guaranteed, uh, you know, with the with the Papelbon trade for Milwaukee because Milwaukee or Philly wants too much. Uh, it seems they don't want just salary re- relief; they want a big prospect for Papelbon. So Broxton could hold that job, and they, and he didn't pay anything for him a 21st round pick. So he went cheap with closers, and I think it could hit pretty well. I really liked Addison Reed last year. He didn't quite pan out, but I'm not given up on him and then a great late pick for him 28 round 28 Carlos Rodon was an excellent pick in my opinion uh that Podhorzer took a flyer on so if he can uh, keep him on his bench long enough uh, exactly you know yeah you know one thing I I will say though um someone asked me I think it was on Twitter in my chat today they asked me who's who are the first three closers to lose their job and I said Felice Broxton and who's there oh obviously Hawkins Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So two, two, two potentials there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he did pay low prices, so he he knows right. that uh, he's gonna have to be active, making sure that he's kind of getting on those next guys. If it's a Tanner Shepherds that takes Feliz's job, I don't even know who would be next in line right now in Milwaukee. So he he'll have to be front and center on there. And kind of more to your point though, with regards to holding Rodon, 
if his closers lose their job, Rodon might be kind of that first cut, especially if he doesn't break camp. So we'll see. But I, I loved the gamble. Uh, with, also, uh, with you know, for what it's worth, I for, I didn't even notice this, but uh, baseball perspectives basically uh, uh, punted saves. Yeah, it, well, and that, you can't get all that all, all that great talent uh, <laughs> without without punting something. So it's saves because they've only got Mejia and you know kind of a halfy from from Neshik and then uh their catcher too so they did punt two things but they plan to be super aggressive and kind of fix those uh I like the core saves, of their club saves, I think they people have shown this it saves is the easiest thing to get on the waiver wire so definitely. Uh, definitely something I do a lot definitely all right uh and yeah if y'all have comments on that let, let us know I, I on the last post that I did I said let me know who you guys think is my uh, is our best and worst pick uh, there is no worse pick. We did an excellent job. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's talk some news. There's some bad news to start off, unfortunately, and it's that uh, – well, who would that be? That would be Mr. Fred Zinke, who we spoke about. His fifth-round pick, Mr. Jonathan Lucroy. He's going to be out four to six weeks with a hamstring strain. This seems to be a bigger deal than I think it's being made out to be. How do you feel about Lucroy's injury here uh, with regards to you know the time that it's going to cost him and what it does for him when he gets back? Well, I you know I it, I'm no doctor, you know I just feel like you know he's he's probably gonna get through it, you know and uh, you know they don't really Martin Maldonado is not very good and Lucroy is an MVP candidate so they're not gonna rush him or anything, um, you know and four to six weeks does give him maybe a week or so of, of at bats before the season starts. So I'm not going to ding him too hard. I mean, we have – he had – let's see here. He had 655 plate appearances last year because he played some first base, I think. Yeah, and I think he'll play, you know, maybe a little bit more early on to kind of cover if he is still feeling a little bit nicked up. So that that is a good kind of protection for him. Yeah, and you can walk his, his projection total back, but he still had 580 plate appearances in 2013. So he's a high plate appearance catcher. And so Steamer being at 503, if that's because of injury or because of how our depth charts sometimes push down um, people at the top, um, then I, you know, the fans at 625 seems a little bit too much. So I, I just land in the middle of that and give him something like 580. I give him 580 again, especially since he had 655 last year. I give him 580, 600 plate appearances next year. Yeah, I, I love Luke Croy. I really hope that this doesn't impact him too much. Just kind of a great hitter. Does does a bit of you know does a bit of everything. Not really not really much speed. A, a handful of steals, but the big batting average uh, points leagues. If you play in something like that with the 53 doubles last year, probably not going to match that. But gives you kind of that surplus value with the walks and doubles. So hopefully it's not too bad for him. But we'll we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Uh, some smaller signings. Ricky Weeks to the Mariners as a backup second base and outfielder. Obviously, uh, probably not going to get much run as the backup second baseman with Robbie Cano there. But you never know. Cano is what 34 years old. But the big part of it uh, that was mentioned in every piece about it is that he is going to be out there in the outfield ready to go as a short side platoon guy. He does rake lefties. I remember when I used to love this guy. He was so awesome as a second baseman for a couple of years there. Uh, he's fallen way off from that. But how do you feel about Ricky Weeks now? Short side platoon. Obviously, we're talking deep league here. There's a little bit of daylight, I guess. I mean, Logan Morrison 
oft injured, two knee, two knee surgeries. You know, people seem to have forgotten about that, or at least our projections have him, you know, into a full season, which I think is iffy. Willie Bloomkist is pretty terrible. And, you know, they have the option. I mean, this is, you know, Willie Bloomquist is definitely is, is important to this because they have the option with Brad Miller. So, I, I you know, we're going to get too far into the Mariners uh, depth chart, but since we're doing that today anyway, let's do it. But Brad Miller, on his page, there's a news update that says that if Brad Miller doesn't make the team, if Brad Miller doesn't get shortstop, he doesn't make the team. But, yeah. you know, considering that Willie Bloomquist is your backup and this is a team that's trying to – be competitive and is projected to be at the top of the American League. Um, I just feel like I just feel like that that might be a motivational tool. You know, there's there's always reasons for these things to come out, and I think that Brad Miller would be useful to more useful to them than Willie Bloomquist. And mm-hmm. so that if you have Brad Miller on that team, you've got a guy who can play shortstop, and then it takes the puts makes Ricky Weeks a backup first baseman, second baseman, outfielder, DH type guy. Well, and and neither Seth Smith nor Dustin Ackley has shown a, a propensity to hit lefties very well. Now, Smith is improving the last couple of years. He's improved last year, a, a palatable 744 OPS, but that was really the first time he's shown any capability. He has a career 605 OPS against them. So he's been abysmal in the past. So if it is outfield, th- there looks like there's going to be some room here to get him in the lineup regularly against lefties. Again, that makes him a deep league play, but Ricky Weeks does smash lefties. So that, that'll be interesting. Uh, and, and like you said, we will talk more Mariners here shortly. Uh, let's go on to the next piece of news. This is the one that's a little bit of a bummer. Uh, not too much, though. Roberto Hernandez, formerly Fausto Carmona, was signed by the Astros to a minor league deal. Looks like he's going to compete for that fifth starters role. And that puts uh, Dan Straley in, in a bit of peril. I know that I'm not asking if you're going to try to get Roberto Hernandez on any club or anything or what his his level of uh, what, what kind of league it would take. Maybe a 14-team AL West only league uh, would be the only way that I could imagine rostering him, which doesn't exist, of course. But how do you feel about this move, and do you think it does put Mr. Straley in some doubt? I, I sort of rolled my eyes at it and, and said to myself and maybe on Twitter that I'm still taking Straley because – Bet on yeah. talent. Yeah, I mean the formerly the artist formerly known as Fausto Comona has really just been bad for a long time. I mean we've always there's always like some update on some good stretch where oh he he's doing this he's throwing his change up more and you know or he's you know throwing it less or he's you know throwing this you know the the sinker more or less but he's been pretty consistent over the last three years he he throws like sixty percent sinkers. You know, thirty percent change-ups, and then you know the rest are sliders, and they there's just not enough swing and miss there. Mm-hmm. He's not getting the elite ground ball totals he used to, and it's probably related to his velocity going down. I mean, he used to be ninety-three, now he's ninety. Just never had good command, really. I mean, sometimes he had okay walk rates and and teased us, but if you watch him, you know he's not a good command guy. No. So, you know, I think he's a. I don't know if depth signing, you know, maybe in the minor leagues. I don't know where he's going to be. I doubt that he's the fifth starter. And But then, you know, Brian McTaggart, the, one of the beat writers for the Rangers, came out and said that, you know, Roberto Hernandez is going up against Samuel Deduno and Alex White and Asher Wojciechowski. And I didn't say Dan Straley at all. So yeah. 
I don't know if that's just maybe a blind spot for him because Dan Straley was traded for this year and he hasn't talked to him yet, or or if he actually talked to a coach that you know you know didn't mention Straley, or maybe they want to see if Straley's completely healthy before they put him in there. But he put Peacock in that mix, and Peacock is actually hurt, so. Mm-hmm. And Jake Buchanan, he put, although I'm looking now on his Twitter feed, he did add a second tweet and he said, yes, and yes, Straley also in the rotation mix. But I'm surprised that he wasn't named ahead of pretty much all those guys, White, Wojo, Peacock, who's injured, Deduno, and Buchanan. Obviously, yeah. we talked about it. We believe that Straley is is a good bit better than all of those guys, talent-wise. I'm glad he replied to me. Thank you very much. Anyway... Um, <laughs> Uh, I missed I missed that. So he added Straley back in. That's good news. I I still like Straley there. Obviously, homers are going to be an issue if he's down at 89 and he's in Houston. But you know, I I think they probably have something they, that they want to tweak on him. We already know that slider and change are good. So I think um, I, I'm still putting Straley in there. I and I I picked him in my big old league. Yeah, I'm, I'm big still- old nasty league. I I have an update. Let me see here. What do I? Who do I own in my big old nasty league? Oh, is league? this the, the 20 by 40? Yeah. The, that's, that's teams by players, guys. Sorry, not not 20 hitting categories and 40 pitching. That, <laughs> that'd be a fun league, though. A very interesting league. Yeah, what, what do you got going over there? So I drafted um, Kiermaier first. Okay. Uh, I, I just like his – I think there's some power there. We talked about him about the when we talked about the Rays. But uh, I picked Di Sclafani. We've talked about him. Mm-hmm. Nick Tropiano. We've talked about him. Love Tropiano. Dan Straley. We've talked about him. And then I picked two relievers, Shepers and Jepson. Very nice. So you're getting you're, you're getting a lot of your guys here, and that's that. That's a. I mean, again, folks, this is a deep, deep, deep league, deep keeper 20, league here. Twenty teams, 40, 45, I think roster slots even. So. Oh my goodness. It, there's just it's like. We're we're talking past each other in that draft room. I mean, there there are people who just have completely different philosophies about what to do in in the draft. I mean, they're they're picking guys. I don't I don't know their names. They're picking a lot of Cubans, like double A guys, triple, uh, not even signed guys. You're saying? Oh yeah, yeah. Because we 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 own people who were in high school. So people are picking high school guys that might be first in the draft next year, next uh, in July. People are picking uh, guys who are still in Cuba. Oh um, and so I've just, you know, I'm like, you guys, you guys play that lotto. I don't have anything. The, I took one lotto pick. Uh, Travis Demerit is. Never heard of him. He's, um, he, he's, he's interesting. He's a second baseman. He's a, he's not very tall. And he okay. hit like 35 homers last year in the minor leagues. Oh, nice. So he's in the Rangers organization. You know, yet another guy. He struck out a little bit too much, about 25%. But it's not, he's not like a Brinson type. So. And and he and you know I've seen I've seen some of Kylie's lists so um, you know I I liked where where he sat there and I liked I liked taking a lot of picks. At least he's shot. a pro. At least he's an actual pro player. You know you're, you're talking <laughs> about these guys <laughs> drafting high schoolers and whatnot. And hey, you know you you, you got to go far out. But for me, I'm always playing closer to the now. So I I like the strategy that you've taken. Now I imagine uh, this segues pretty well then because you, you you talk about guys kind of off the board that are being taken. John Fay from the Cincinnati Inquirer wrote a piece. He mentioned that Russell, uh, Rizal Iglesias could contend for a rotation spot. And is he on your radar at all? Is he already? He must already be in the, picked in this league then, right? Yeah, he's been on for a while. But he, he, that is an interesting uh, situation because you could uh, potentially say that's going to go up against uh, Di Sclafani. Mm-hmm. But- and Singrani. But yes, for what it's worth, I've been talking to a lot of the Reds Twitter, and 
there, you know, some, some of the riders, Matthew Leach is, is a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a Reds rider. And a lot of them think Disclafani is the fourth guy and that it's Singrani battling for the fifth spot. Okay. So if it's Singrani, and, and that might have a that lot of That makes sense, by the way. Discafani's coming in. First of all, they traded for him, so they, they like something they saw. Also, Discafani has an unquestioned starter's arsenal in that he has three or four pitches that are all decent. Whereas Singrani has was not only a bull, was not even a, not only a closer in college, but has kind of a closer's arsenal in that his fastball is amazing and he doesn't really have another pitch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's. I think, yeah, I think that I think that it may be that way. Our depth charts have Singrani ahead. Well, there's a little, you know, a little health update on him. You know, the shoulder is still still a thing that they have to think about. So, I don't. I think Iglesias might be a little bit aggressive. Let me, let me see. I, I, he strikes me as being um, pretty young. Let me see how. Oh yeah, that, 20, uh, 23, I believe. No, let's see. Was that twenty five? Twenty five. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, two two years that uh, there are no stats for him. So I got to add two years there. So he, you know. 25-year-old, smaller-ish guy, pretty wiry, 6'2", 165, supposed to have four pitches. You know, that article talks about four pitches with command. I don't know that he's got all the command of, uh, of those pitches just yet, but that's Brian Price, the manager, talking about him. He's not going to come in and say a bunch of negative things. So I, I get it. The, the main point, though, is that this guy needs to be on your radar, whereas originally I thought maybe Iglesias was going to come in and be more of a reliever. Looks like they are going to try him as a starter uh, right out of the gate here instead of going the Chapman route of, of back and forth and eventually landing in relief. Yeah. It just just the fact that Rysel Iglesias has never really played in the minor leagues. I think, you know, he's a Cuban signee. I think, um, you know, he, he pitched out of the bullpen in the AFL. Mm-hmm. You know, it's – it might be aggressive – you know, but then there's also just you don't know necessarily what's going on with Singrani. There's a lot of ways that they could say, oh, well, you know, he needs to work his shoulder out a little bit. Exactly. So, yeah. so it's just going to be something to watch. Whereas you might have thought, 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 you might have thought it was a bit more set in stone uh, coming in here. Now it's a little bit more wide open with Singrani, Descofani, and Iglesias battling it out for two spots there. And hey, I don't think it's a crazy to think that maybe if he had a huge spring that even Robert Stevenson could come in there. Now that's the long shot for sure, but uh, there's going to be some, some battles to watch for Cincinnati at least. Yeah. Iglesias too. I'm reading about um, Eric Longenhagen wrote about him in the AFL and he said that he would, he came out 97 one day and then the next day he came out 93 in his second appearance. And so, you know, scouts were kind of shrugging their shoulders saying, I don't know, like, you know, <laughs> what, what, what is this guy going to do velocity wise? And so that's why, you know, people say that maybe he's going to be in the, in the bullpen, but for what it's worth, the Reds have pushed it um, and pushed bullpen guys into the rotation with Singrani and, and maybe a little bit with Lorenzen who's coming up behind them. So, you know, this is the team to do it. And this is also why I throw that caveat of deeply sleeper on these guys to, and, you know, if you're drafting in late March and you've been hearing me talk about Disclafani for a long time, and then all of a sudden you start getting these updates in March where it's like, oh, it looks like Disclafani's in. Look, then maybe he starts to become more of a regular league sleeper because he does have the stuff and he's, he's an interesting guy. The reason I 
I name all these guys as deep league seekers first is because we don't know. There's so much we don't know about what's going to happen in March. I mean, Straley looks like a deep league sleeper. He's a, he's probably still a deep league sleeper if he has the fifth spot. But Disclafani, Tropiani, Tropiano, those guys will give you updates as the spring is going because they may play themselves into you know more shallow leagues. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I completely agree there. So we'll monitor that situation, keep you posted. But right now, Disclafani is is kind of someone that uh, you're play, you're planting your flag in. So for you drafting early, maybe take him as your deep league guy. Let's jump into the final two teams of the ALS. We already hit a little bit on Seattle, but let's dive in and talk to me a bit about your favorite hitter at their current cost on that ball club. I think I'd just go with something boring and say Kyle Seeger because that's fine. Cause that's who I was going to pick. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, we could talk then about why there's so many question marks elsewhere. Also, I did actually, um, in, in a league we're in, I did actually trade for Nelson Cruz this offseason. And it was in a score sheet league. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, uh, I think, doubly sort of a huh. Like, you, you traded for the guy who is, I mean, it, it's score sheet. And he can't play defense. And Tony <laughs> Blangino wrote that he's not going to hit 25 homers. And, yeah, all that stuff I understand. And you may think I'm crazy for what I gave up, but a lot of the stuff that I gave up wasn't going to be kept. Danny Santana, I just didn't have room for him on my team. Nick Franklin was barely in or barely out, you know, may have been my last keeper. Uh, Kyle Zimmer, shoulder problem, interesting pitcher. Not My team's a win-now team. We lost in the World Series last year, so I'm not crying about him. Mm-hmm. And then I gave up Hunter Dozier, but I also... With along with Nelson Cruz, got an extra protection slot that allows me to keep Trevor Bauer. So, you know, in effect, I got Nelson Cruz and Trevor Bauer for a collection of, of players I didn't want. And what I what I figured was this is AL only, you know, and I've just got myself a DH, and I got exactly. myself a DH that can hit, and that's keep keeper worthy, and you know, other people aren't trading guys who can hit you know there's no you know i can't go get anybody you know like it's really hard you maybe get a pitcher here or do a little something there you know i had to give up two players to get alexi ramirez so when you're in these deep leagues it's sometimes just the fact that you can get a guy at all makes yeah, a, a real guy who's a middle of the order threat because yeah. even if he falls back to texas numbers that's that's fine you're, you're still going to get a guy who's who's you know high 20s homers and good ribbies. Obviously, we'll see how it plays out in, in the uh, in the score sheet league there. But I, I hear you. I, I thought it was actually a, a pretty good trade because you gave up a lot of spec. I've always been a Nick Franklin guy, but it's getting to the point where the clock's ticking here. Let's see some actual production. And then you mentioned Zimmer, uh, Santana. I totally hear you. It's like that. 9,000 BABIP that he had last year. I don't think that's going to last. And Hunter Dozier is just way far out. And you're a team that needs to, you're trying to win right now. You know, we, you and I made a trade as well. So you, you're, you're playing for the here and now. And I totally get that. Yeah. And, and just, I think, you know, sometimes people read this stuff and then, you know, put them on a don't draft list. And it's just, you know, we talk about this all the time is there's a price for everyone. And if Nelson Cruz drops to final round territory, He's a batter. He's he can hit, and he's been relatively healthy actually in three out of the last four years. So, 
even when he wasn't healthy in 2013, he only had 456 plate appearances. He hit 27 homers. Well, no, that so, was the PEDs. So he, it was. Oh, that's right. He was even 50 healthy. games for that. Yeah, he he had been tracking healthy, maybe because of the PEDs. But either way, <laughs> uh, he came back last year. Co- you know, relative, I, I imagine clean or with something that beat the test and he played 159 games. So you're right. You know, he's kind of staying on the field these last couple of years. So no, I, I actually liked that move when you did it, uh, especially given your, your situation. Yeah. And just in general, like whatever leagues you're in, you know, consider him as a guy that, you know, people won't touch because they think a lot of aggression is coming, but you know, you know, it's like Cano, Cano is still a second rounder. Mm-hmm. You know, and if if anybody let him drop too far into the second round last year, he should have gotten them because because he was still going to be Cano. If it, you know, it, yes, it's Seattle. So anyway, that's an opportunity for arbitrage. Otherwise, Kyle Seeger, just a he's just a real smart guy. Hits the video real hard. We talked about this at the All Star game. He's he's studying everybody. He may not be the toolsiest guy in the woodshed, but you know, he walks. Uh, a representative of a number. He makes more contact than people. He's managed to keep showing good power numbers. It, it, it's unfortunate it's at third base, but it is one of the guys at third base that if you knew Kyle Seeger was still on the board, you could maybe continue to wait. You know, exactly. Say, he, gives it, he, he contributes a, a, a quite a bit to the fact that there is depth there. He's part of that reason. Right. Uh, and, and not necessarily somebody that everyone's, you know, people are out to kind of get the, net, the the Nolan Arenados of the world because they want that guy who could break out. Um, and, and a guy like Seeger gets passed over. So as his price gets pushed down, it makes him even better. You know, I, I know he's an earlier round guy, but I just I love him. But uh, since we're both going to go that route and, and we're going to kind of diverge off, I'll go another deep league guy, way deep league. And it's somebody we barely talked about earlier who could be platoon. But it's Seth Smith. And, you know, it's not special, but I feel like he could just basically do what he did last year, which is hit 12 homers, 50 RBIs, decent average. We're talking AL only for sure. He's not going to play. You know, he got 521 plate appearances last year. That's about the cap. He got 533 back in 2011 as a career high. You're looking for about 500, but they could be solid. He, he did all that, uh, what he had last year, 266, 807 OPS. That was in Petco. Now he goes to Safeco, which is actually a little bit better for lefties. Um, you know, what, what isn't better uh, than, than Petco pretty much for anybody. But, you know, again, not going to be a special season, but I think he can pop low double digits homers, decent runs scored in RBIs. And he got 55 runs and, and 48 RBIs on that terrible team. Seattle's not a, a, the murderer's row or anything like that, but they're better than last year's Padres by leaps and bounds. So he's looking to bat two in that lineup. That's where roster resource has him slotted in right now, right behind Cano, Cruz, and Seager. So he should be able to score tons of runs when he plays, especially if he can maintain that 367 OPS that we saw last year. So not a special guy, but I like him late in deeper leagues, particularly AL only, but also a deep mixed. I'd be very happy with him. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of setups that would make him really attractive. OBP league mm-hmm. would, would make him more attractive. You know, deep bench makes him more attractive because then you can, you know, an auto news situation where you can slide him in, slide him out, and you have enough space on your bench to to, to make it work. DFS, yes, you know, away from home against. Yeah. No. Weak, weak righties uh, in a in a good park, Texas, uh, Houston, you know, yeah. uh, anywhere else, you know, Chicago. They go play the White Sox for a series, and Hector Noesis on on the on the bump. 
boom, get him in. So there, there's a lot of formats, like you said, that he, he sees his value jump up and he doesn't cost you anything. The, the, the only other thing we have to talk about, which is, you know, it's going to be terrible because one of, you know, we're going to be wrong about something, but Chris Taylor against Brad Miller. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the central question on this team and it's very difficult to answer. And I know there's a lot of people who are very sure of their opinions out on, on Twitter about how this is going to go down, but I'm just going to say I'm not very sure of my opinion. I think Brad Miller is better, but and partially because he's a lefty, uh, which you know makes him more useful at the plate two-thirds of the time. He's shown more power than Chris Taylor. A lot of their other batting statistics have been similar in terms of walks and strikeouts, and Brad Miller did show something late in the season last year. So there's a lot of sort of batting reasons to like Brad Miller. I will admit this. I don't know that he's a short, great shortstop. I no. know that people said when he was coming up, he wasn't going to be a good shortstop, that he was going to move off the position. Usually if people say you're going to move off the position, you eventually do. And so, and I know there's some people out there who are adamant that he's not a shortstop. So that does change things considering they have a second baseman, they have a third baseman. He's not going to be a good fit. That's why they make a comment where they say, if he doesn't make the, if he doesn't get the shortstop job, he's not a great fit for our team because you know, what's he going to do? He's, if he's not going to play against left against righties at shortstop, then he's sort of just a backup shortstop, backup outfielder, you know. So there's no real good situation for him. I think at one point the idea was he was going to be, you know, the Justin Reggiano character mm-hmm. where he would, he would, you know, play in the outfield and platoon with some guys. But I don't think he's a great fit there either. So it's a really high-risk situation. It's a fun thing to buy into, but you really got to watch your dollars um, on that one, because they could just go. It's really either you buy in, in a sort of, and I think they're both AL only kind of guys. But in an AL only, either you're buying, you know, a twenty dollar player for two dollars, or you you're you're you know pissing two dollars away. Exactly, so. and, and and then scraping for your middle infielder or whatever the case may be. Uh, all Taylor's done is rake in the minors, coming out of coming out of Virginia. You know, a little bit, a little bit young or excuse me, a little bit old for his levels the first two seasons. But then last year, uh, you know, as 23, spent the season in AAA and continued to rake. So, you know, the numbers have been there much better. But not a lot of power, not a lot of power. And so I think some of that, some of those patients numbers may not translate as well because they're not afraid of him like a Marcus Simeon. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think the power and patience are intertwined in a way. That you know, it, you'd rather see a little bit more power to believe those 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 patients numbers. I mean, you can we we've you know we sh- we had on our site a, a thing about zone percentage and how uh, it's linked to to breakouts, and you can actually see pitchers starting to throw the ball in the zone more against older players and out of the zone more against hot players. So, you know, right there is a sort of an argument for you know well in the minor leagues, you know if they they didn't have much power, you know. They weren't pitchers weren't sophisticated enough to to play with that zone. But when they get to the major leagues, people will say, "Well, I'm not too scared. I'm just throwing that zone." And then he's being challenged more in the zone and blah blah blah. But you're right, and then you're also right to bring up his age early on. Um, but he's a way better defender. I mean, that's exactly that's, that's definitely one thing that's in his favor. <clears throat> it's kind of hard, also, when you're talking about AL only, to to take chances like this because. If if and if in your head at any point you you're saying okay Brad Miller is part of my shortstop solution or Chris Taylor is part of my shortstop solution in this AL only league, then you're you're dedicating a spot to him somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, it, it's like zero. You know, I guess in, in particular in AL labor, it's okay because I'd actually be able to reserve him because he would be in the minor leagues. So I yes, that's true. Still hold on to some value, but that would mean that I have to either take a reserve pick, and I don't see a lot of you know middle infield reserve picks that I'm I'm in the in the in the AL. I mean, if Didi Gregorius is a reserve pick because he's being projected for terrible numbers. If I could do something where I pay $2 for Brad Miller because he has the better bat, and I pay $1 for D.D. Gregorius or get him as a reserve pick, and then I switch them, you know, if Brad Miller goes down, then D.D. Gregorius comes in, mm-hmm. then maybe that's a really cheap MI solution. But And it, it has a decent amount of upside because D.D. Gregorius has fooled some people into thinking he has a, he's a good bat, so there's something going <laughs> on there. But, yeah, and he's had some good hot – I mean some elongated hot streaks, you know, 40, 50 games. Um, and then, and then that park for a lefty, you know, but that's, that's, I mean, I just described to you the only deep league solution, unless you want to f- throw Josh Rutledge in there. And, and I don't, I, I, uh, I know we talked right. about him when we, t- when we talked about the angels and just, I don't see it. I don't see it. So yeah, you're fishing yeah. at that point, And that, that's a good, good point that you're making with regards to the cost in those deeper league formats, because going out and replacing him becomes the huge challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and you're really backing yourself into one plan, yep. which I think was my real main problem with the first year at, at Labor. I said, I have all these things pointing to Mike Moustakis. I'm so brilliant. I'm coming in. I'm going to be smart. <laughs> you know, and Mike Moustakis is th- going to be this you know, for this reason, this reason, this reason. And I had two plans. One was with Mike Moustakis. One was without. As soon as I took Mike Moustakis, I, was, I had basically planned the rest of my draft out. It didn't work mm-hmm. out. What I'd rather do is keep options open and taking Brad Miller – is not keeping your options open. That means you've got to go do something else to make a backup plan and probably at util or in the reserve rounds. And like I said, Didi, uh, I mean, you know, Punto, uh, Eduardo, one of the Eduardos. Oh, Escobar or Nunez, yeah. Uh, I don't even know who. Like, Jose no, Iglesias, no. I mean, that's not, he's defense yeah, only. Yeah, yeah. If you were in the NL, there might be a little bit more because there's Chris Owings down there. There's Kang. Brandon Crawford. Brandon Crawford. There's some – There's, you know, I think it's a little bit deeper in the NL. Agreed. An AL shortstop is just nasty, and I don't think I want to make my solution at AL shortstop. I'd take Danny Santana over Brad Miller just because I don't see that – even with all that regression, I don't see Danny Santana necessarily having as much of a, a you know, a reason to look over his shoulder. No, that that's true. I, for for everything about him, and like I said, I completely understand why you dealt him in that in that trade there because the batting average can't sustain with the 400 OBP or excuse me bat, batting average on balls in play, but he is going to probably get the playing time pretty securely, and like you said, who's really going to chase him down? Eduardo, Eduardo Escobar, Eduardo Nunez. We know kind of what they are. He's going to get a real shot and a top atop that lineup. It ain't too bad. So, um, you know, I'm kind of hedging on him a little bit where I, I get the call for regression. So if he goes too high, I'm out. But if everyone kind of says, oh, he's going to fall off the table, that's when I jump back in and he might be a bit of a value. Yeah, I mean, a 260 hitter that might steal 20 bases at shortstop. Yeah. There's definitely leagues where that's useful. And and, and, a, and a tinge of pop, you know, nothing nothing crazy. But mm-hmm. uh, he hit seven last year. 
and you know you look at his size you'd think he's an empty pop but no there's a, there's a little bit there so um good good stuff there on, on brad miller chris taylor we got to keep an eye on that we will update you guys as spring goes along let's talk some pitchers it's a lot, lot brighter with regards to the fantasy landscape with for pitchers on this club who do you like um obviously they have an ace in Felix, a semi-ace in Iwakuma, and then kind of three interesting mid-round, late-round guys with Paxton, Walker, and Half. That's kind of how it's projected right now. Who Who's your favorite starter on that club? I mean, favorite starter is obviously Felix. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Favorite at cost because he's, 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 he's going to cost you – uh, very high pick right now, maybe a late first in some instances. He's gone as high as seven in an NFBC draft. And then we saw him in the second round of the other draft, uh, the, the labor draft that we talked about. So you're spending an early pick. That's why that's why we do it at cost, because it's easy to say Cano and Felix are our favorite guys on the club. But do we want to pay those lofty costs? Yeah, I mean, Felix, he just he has given us no reason to doubt. I mean, no, not at all. He's done it every year. And. And and big, you know, he hasn't, you know, big innings totals. He's been healthy, and he's he kind of is he's kind of in that Kershaw category where he just he's like, you know, I was thinking about my changeup, and I thought, why don't I throw it ninety? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the one thing I love about this guy, well, not the one thing I love everything, but he just keeps getting better too. He keeps yeah. changing. He's got no problem adding. And, and tinkering and really kind of trying to become a better pitcher because he understands, obviously he's seen it probably in his numbers, that the, that the velocity declines no matter what. You, that, that's undefeated. Uh, time is undefeated with regards to velocity. So he's got to learn to be a better pitcher. I think this is, he's just so great. And uh, honestly, if it, there are situations where I would be willing to take him as a second-round pick. I'm going to fade Iwakuma. I'm going to fade him pretty hard because people don't remember that he looked toast. I mean, there was a reason his, his agent thinks that the athletics were ne never wanted to sign him, but I believe that it was probably related to his, his medicals because I was just talking to someone who watches a lot of Japanese baseball for, for one of my stories. And we were just sort of reminiscing about Iwakuma. And he said, I saw him pitch and he couldn't hit 85. Oh, in, wow. In Japan. And he had a shoulder thing. Yeah. Shoulder thing. They, there's probably people here who never heard that Iwakuma had a shoulder problem. Or, or, or people who forget that Oakland had won his rights and then they yeah. didn't sign him in time because obviously there was some sort of negotiation breakdown and that he got that second life with Seattle. Yeah, I think there's a lot of folks who don't know either of those things. You know, and, and right now his projection system sees, you know, 219 innings, 180 innings, and everything looks great, but he's 33. And there was a time period where he wasn't going to make it out of the shoulder injury. You know, that wasn't that long ago, basically 2011. So we're talking about someone who had a shoulder problem in 2010 and 2011, who has now had two good years. And then we're just going to say, fine, you know, give him another 200 innings. He even had a little blip last year mm -hmm. in terms of his health. So, I mean, I think he's good when he's in there and he's, if, if people are undervaluing him, because there is some, there is a contingent that sort of undervalues this, this, this skill set, it's the kind of Corota skill set where yep. no, no, you know, nothing goes over 90. Great command, throws a ton of split fingers and gets a, and, and kind of beats his his fielding independent stuff sometimes a little bit because, um, you know, low BABIPs, which I think is sort of related to his ability to get strikeouts. And maybe there's a little weak context. of I don't really 
believe a lot in that. I don't want. I'm not sure to go look for it because we don't have the stats that really tell us a lot about weak contact. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, there is. I you know, I could believe him having low batters. You know, he's the he's you know good command, nasty stuff in a, in his own way. So I, I I like him when it comes to pitching. But I just if people are gonna value him as a a three two ERA guy with 200 innings, um, I'm out. You know, I I can actually say I, I was very high on him before the breakout. Uh, that that's something I, I guess I'm bragging about it, but I, I was I, somebody I really liked. He had that breakout, but um, you mentioned fading him. A little bit of a ratings preview when when we release our rankings very soon here on Fangraphs. I'm the lowest on him at at 31. It's uh, uh, for starters. Zach Sanders has him 16, um, and and Dan Schwartz has him 22. So you know I don't hate him. But I just there's just guys I like better. It, he just kept getting pushed down by guys I like better. So I'm, I still like him a good bit, but uh, clearly not not on the same level as a lot of other folks. So I can understand why you'd be fading on him. Um, are you in? Well, someone asked me where 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 I would uh, consider who I would consider against Stroman that would make it hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I was just pushing Stroman up the steamer list. You know, pushing him past McCarthy and Lackey, that was easy. Um, you know, and I actually pushed him past Iwakuma without even, without even, you know, batting an eyelash. Just, you know, right past Iwakuma and, and took Stroman up to sort of Ryu uh, Cueto territory before I was like, okay. I mean, these guys, Ryu and Cueto, have really done it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've already done it. And, they're, and they, they have pretty good stuff and they're in the National League. So that's, that's where I'd be like, okay, I don't know about that. But, um, you know, I pushed Stroman right past Iwakuma, so. And I got I got no problems with that either. By the way, I'm I'm a big big Stroman fan. <laughs> Saw him in like like we talked about uh, when we did the AL Beast. Loved him in AFL, and uh, I, I've been loving him ever since. So I'm a huge fan. Now, any of these three kind of uh, more flyery type guys, not not even flyers, but just late round guys, mid late round guys, Paxton Walker, Hap. You in on any of those um, as somebody that you're not not necessarily targeting because you kind of let the draft play out to you but any of them that you're putting a little star by that maybe you want to get as a later pick i like i like paxton i like i like the cuban uh i don't like hap i he's soft tossing has nothing going on for me none of his pitches rate well and i just i don't really like him maybe he'll be fine at home in dfs and some other situations where you can just sort of use him to soak up innings but i and i think that's what they're they're using him for They're, they're using him to keep walker down and and you know, make sure Walker's healthy and his arm's okay, and maybe even to, you know, continue pitching while Walker gets traded for a bat or something. So I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm going to stay away from that for the most part. Uh, Walker has health and command issues, so I don't, I'm not sure that he's going to come and let the, set the world on fire as much as I like um, his stuff. But uh, Paxton, I think, you know, dude. Dude averages like 94, 95. Sometimes the velocity goes in and out. That's a little bit worrisome. But for the most part, he, he's got a nice uh, fastball and a really sizzling, beautiful curve. Mm-hmm. And it's it's elite-type whiffs. Um, you know, it's a bit of a slurve in a way, but, you know, it's nice, decently hard, and just really hard for people to pick up. Really nice. It's really nice. In terms of his change, it doesn't quite have the velocity gap or the the drop that you'd want. So it's not the best pitch in the world. 
Um, so I, I'm watching a little bit for, you know, his cutter slider situation, if that's going to change, if he's going to throw the, the cutter a little bit more. I think he could be a good forcing cutter curve guy. I mean, you know, John Lester's been using his change less and less, and he's he's a four-seam cutter curve lefty. Um, of course, John Lester has way more command than, than Paxton, but also way less velocity. So, you know, there's there are ways for him to succeed. He's in Seattle. He's got he's got mega velocity. He's got a really nice curve. I, I, I like James Paxton. I like Paxton too, and especially when you talk about at cost because. Taiwan Walker isn't too far behind him, and I do love Taiwan Walker, but Paxton, I think, has a guaranteed spot here, whereas, yeah. as you mentioned, Taiwan Walker, who knows, because Roanis Elias could still take that fifth starter's role from him. You know, he's Walker is penciled in right now, but it's no guarantee, So, and he's still just going into his age 23 season. They don't have to ensure that he's the guy right now. Like you said, they could hold him down for a bit and, and kind of make sure he's healthy, et cetera, et cetera. So I hate to double up, but I just I really do love Paxton. So I want to uh, by, put, go ahead by pitch types. Um, you know, Elias is, should be the guy to get that job. And the, the, the pitch type peripherals actually really, really like him. I mean, his, his change and his curve both get a lot of whiffs and his four seam gets a decent amount of whiffs and his average is 93, which for lefties is, is, is plus velocity. So. Yeah, he was impressive last year. I mean, you know, not necessarily fantasy wise because he was kind of a basically a league average guy, but out of nowhere, jumping from double A never a prospect you know he was 24 at double a and it's like okay you know what even is this guy but as a cuban import too and he went out and gave him 29 strong starts if he can improve a little bit this year he's still pretty young 20 age 26 season that could be somebody who's more of a sneak guy especially because if you if you are somebody who uses like the roster resource they don't have him in the projected starting lineup they don't even have him projected on the on the ball club they got him starting triple a so his cost could be very low and you can go out and get him on the cheap uh also but, watch watch what the team has done with walker i mean to pencil a walker in in the fifth starting spot right now i think is to ignore thinking. i think yeah i think it's wishful th- i think it's to ignore what seattle has done with him they they've they've acted like they don't want him i mean they've acted that he's been in every trade rumor you know he 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 kind of comes up only when they need a starter and some they've te- they've started Erasmo ramirez ahead of him you know they've done a lot of things with walker that don't suggest to me that he's a lock for anything that's a great point. It, it, re- it really is because, yeah, who's the first name that's mentioned anytime that they're talking about getting a big bat? Taiwan Walker, you yeah. know, and, and he hasn't been able to get that time because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So the, the talent's there, but I think we need to understand that he is still young. And, you know, if they are, and by the way, I overspoke, age 22 season, not age 23 season. So even younger than I thought, hasn't shown it all yet. I do love the raw stuff. But I think we might still just be a little bit out from him. You know, he could he could have two more years of kind of up and down fits and starts, 90 innings here, 120 innings there, and then break out in in that third year, and he's still only going to be 25. So yeah, yeah, th- yeah. there's plenty of or yeah. that'd be his age 24 season. So there's plenty of time with this guy. Plenty of time to say, you know, get your command right. We love exactly. we love what you did. Thank you. You know, you're you're in our plans. You know, tell him whatever you need to tell him and send him back down to AAA. Uh, you know. And Elias, on the other hand, he has obvious flaws, and they're somewhat similar in that his command isn't great, and it's because he has multiple release points and angles. And they've, yeah. they've been telling him to kind of try to hold on to one, and he does a better job of it some starts than other starts. He's 
he's got an issue with that. And it's kind of the Cuban thing. He was signed out of Cuba, not very expensive. And I don't, I'm not trying not to be prejudicial, prejudicial, but you know, you know, Orlando Hernandez was a guy for them. Orlando Hernandez was a guy that they all loved. And Orlando Hernandez had like eight arm slots. So yes, exactly. Somebody so, that they kind of p- pattern themselves after. And I, I don't think, you know, when you, when you, when you see these things that kind of run as a through line from Cuban pitchers or from Asian pitchers, I don't, you know, I don't think it's necessarily being prejudicial or racist or anything like that. So I hope nobody thinks that there are certain types that they grow up learning X, Y, and Z, you know, the, the kind of the stutter for uh, Asian pitchers and, and, and you're talking about arm slots based on kind of their role model out in Cuba. So that makes total sense there. I don't think it's uh, off base yeah, to say anything like that. It's, yeah, it's role models. It's who you've seen, you know, who you've modeled. You know, there's tons of Dominican pitchers who who wanted to throw like Pedro. So Exactly. Um, you know, so anyway, the point is, I think that he is searching for that arm slot. But he's 26, 27. I'm not necessarily going to bake in. Uh, like a two two walks per nine improvement or anything, you know. I'm not I'm not going to make him. I'm going to say that I think he can continue to do what he did last year, which was be almost a league average, um, a league average pitcher. And I'm not sure that, that Walker is going to convince the Mariners that they have a league average pitcher on hand already. And you know, whatever Elias needs to work on, he may not he may not ever finish, you know, figure it out. Because he's already at 26, he's much more of a finished product. So there's so many reasons to say, you know, Walker, we just want you to tinker a little bit with they do this, do this. And Elias, we know who you are. You're like a good three, four, five guy. And, uh, and that's what we need right now. It benefits them to go for the certainty, too, given where they are right now. So yeah. if he can go out there and just be a solid four or five, fine, they'll take it. But, Let's but talk- I, will say I could see a little bit of growth in his strikeout rate because a, a, 10, a 9.8% swinging strike rate. With these, the uh, curve is so sick. The curve is good, and the change is good too. So, he, I mean, I could see more strikeouts, and he had a couple more strikeouts in the minor league. So, I, I could see it nudging over eight. Yeah, so that, that's somebody to watch. I, I, I really do believe he is somebody to keep an eye on. I want to talk a bit about this bullpen right now. Fernando Rodney has it, but he's a thousand years old. Um, you know, he's been prone to issues in the past. He's he's looked amazing at times, historically good at times. I'm wondering who would you tab as kind of the next guy should Rodney kind of fall off in his age 38 season uh again I don't think he comes into the season on the hot seat at all he did pitch very well for them 285 ERA 48 saves MLB high strikeouts were there walks were actually down from 2013 so plenty of good stuff there made the all-star team you know all that stuff's going to weigh in for the Mariners so they're not going to be hot seating him for spring but if we're getting into June and he's struggling who would you say right now would be kind of that guy if you were speculating a quality middle reliever who you could put on the club and maybe end up getting saves from him. I think it's Danny Farquhar. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, ever since he changed his arm slot, he's you know sits above 93. It's nice velocity. He's got good bite. Nice, nice secondary stuff. Gets a lot of swing strikes. You know, command has been improving. And I talked to him a little bit about this. That you know he's had his arm slot changed so often that. You know, it's not surprising he doesn't hasn't had the best command, but 90 mile an hour cutter, and uh, you know the the breaking ball. So he's he's got enough going on for me. I I like him. You know, I like Tom Woodhelpson. I love the backstory of being the bartender and yeah. you know finding himself. But he really needs to find himself as a pitcher again because you know he never had great command, and then last year when the command went, he couldn't get ahead in order to throw his hammer. 
And uh, it all sort of fell apart a little bit last year. So he really needs to find something this year to, to prove that he can be back in there, I think. All right. Uh, that, that'll wrap it up on Seattle. Let's talk a bit about this Texas ball club. Uh, obviously, they had a disastrous 2014 with the injuries just piling up left and right. It's embarrassing almost, you know, uh, uh, just sad. You know, you, you almost felt sorry for them with how many injuries were just striking this team down. Uh, so they can come back healthy. I think they could be a team that takes a big improvement because they didn't need to add a lot. They just need to stay healthy so they can easily improve quite a bit on those 67 wins. But who do you like in that lineup? They got some big comeback candidates in Prince Fielder, Shinsu Chu. Um, who do you like at their current price for the Texas Rangers? I don't think that Chu is necessarily going to steal 20 bags again. But I do think that his injuries affected his power last year. And I will, I'll take the, I don't know if it's the over, but I'll take 16, 17, 18 homers from him. I, I think he can get back to his high Babbitt ways and, and hit 280 again. So 280, you know, 16 homers, 10 stolen bases. It's not the kind of thing that people look for. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to try and spend on him. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be, I think he'll be a secret value. I, I love Shinsu Chu, so I'll definitely be going back to the well at the new depressed price. He's going to be leading off. I think that lineup will be solid, again, with health, but uh, we're going to come in assuming that these guys are going to stay much healthier this year. Fielder can bounce back, so OBP has never been an issue. Even last year, he had a 340, which was pretty poor for him, but given where the average was, he's still about a 100-point split, so he's always taking his walks. I think he's going to be sneaky value because, like you said, the 16 and 10, if he did those things, they don't jump off the page. But he could push for 100 runs, I think. Um, You know, we'll see what the RBIs look like atop the lineup. I'm a big Chu fan. For me, I'm still going to the Leonis Martin well as well. Um, I just think this guy – He's got he's kind of built in his floor already. I think we've seen his floor the last couple of years as you know a little bit of pop, nothing special there, but plenty of steals. 30 plus the last two years, decent average, 260 2013, 274 last year. I still think Leonis Martin has a power surge that could come. I watched him play so much at Round Rock, uh, which is just outside of Austin here, the AAA club for the Rangers, and I saw a guy who had legitimate power. Uh, you know it was AAA, so I get that. But I just think that there is a chance that this guy could still develop age 27 season. You know, I'm not saying the age 27 breakout. I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that. I'm just talking two full seasons under his belt now. Really kind of entrenched himself as the guy. I think he could go out, hit 12, 13 homers while continuing to steal a ton of bases and hitting for a decent average. And then obviously, if he's hitting for more power, his uh, RBIs and runs would jump up too. So I'm a big Leonis Martin fan. I. He's, he's definitely, from watching, he's definitely an athletic guy. I mean, he has one of the best arms in baseball. I was just imagining, actually, in <laughs> this is a little weird, in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do was, a lot of thinking there, though, so I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I was imagining a 22-inning game between the Dodgers and the Rangers where Yasiel Puig had to pitch against Leonis Martin. That is and they were, hilarious. And they were throwing like 95 miles an hour. So um, I, I like him. Um, and uh, I think, um, you know, he's uh, he's more athletic than his results have shown so far. But it just, it's just, it, it's weird to me. He just doesn't hit the ball very far. I mean, he last year he had 
a 262-foot distance on his homers and flies. He was surrounded by uh, Darwin Barney, Yonder Alonso, oh. Joe, Joe Panic, Alexi Ramirez, Jed Lowry. Uh, great company. Uh, but, of course, behind him, there was Mark Krause and Derek Norris, um, guys that we think of as having a little bit of power. So yeah. it's, not, it's not just bad at ball distance. Sometimes you have to you know, connect on the right pitch, um, and it doesn't happen all the time. Maybe he just needs to find those right pitches more often. But it is, it is interesting to see this guy you know, run all over the field, have an arm that's amazing, and then, you know, get to the plate and be sort of below average-ish at the plate. Well, uh, the, the thing, like I said, that I really do like, though, is that even if the, these, the progression doesn't come, where he's been the last two years has been a, a, um, a low $20 player. And I'll yeah. take that. So the, the floor is kind of built in. Hopefully he can he can push the ceiling up a bit higher. But even if not, still a guy that you should be interested in having. Um, we've got to 30 stolen bases. I mean, he's going to he's going to be valuable, especially if you can sit him against lefties it'd be even better. Exactly. We got to ask a couple questions about this offense. Obviously, the obligatory one right off the gate, right, right out of the gate, rather Prince Fielder. What are the chances he gets back to the 3100 track and, and kind of where where are you drafting him this year in a, in a standard mixer? I'll draft him as a I'll draft him as a 280 hitter. I mean, he's okay. 285 for his career. He's always made a lot of contact, and he's he's good that way. But the power's been up and down his whole career. The neck injury, I know he's in a good park for that, but it doesn't mean that he's going to just necessarily, um, you know, take off. And, you know, so you could actually see the injury in his batted ball stats last year. He, he usually is a 40% ground ball guy, and he jumped up to 50%. So, Oof. you know, there's a decent chance that he can get to 30 and – you know, so I'll pay for two eighty twenty five and just hope, and, and maybe put a, maybe put an extra homer or two in there over projections just to make it a little bit more likely that I buy him. You know, yeah. Or maybe value him at two eighty twenty six homers with ninety RBI because that's more than the fans. And if anybody's using projections around you, you might you might pick him because he'll be a dollar more for you or whatever. But um, I just don't think. Um, I mean, oh man, that year he had 299 with 46 homers and 141 RBIs for the Brewers. So good, so so good. I mean, he used to be one of the just the best pure players in the game, with with the average and the power. You you, you had to love it. Um, question for you, Rugnet Odor. Interesting debut here. That 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 one of the silver linings of all those injuries was the fact that he came up and got 417 plate appearances. I don't think that was in the cards when they originally kind of mapped out their season, but that's why you can only map so far as as a ball club. You just never know what's going to happen. He came up and he handled himself pretty nicely, all things considered. It was a below league average. It was a 90 WRC plus for Odor, but from a fantasy standpoint, nine homers. Uh, four ribbies, four for eleven, or uh, four for eleven on the base pass there. Not four ribbies, four steals. That not so good, but he does have more speed than that. We know that he just wasn't efficient at all. Probably making bad jumps. I didn't see a lot of it, so I'm just speculating. When you go four for eleven, it's not so good. Uh, but a 259 average. How do you feel about him now coming into his age 21 season? Has the door wide open for him to kind of keep the job? We don't know about Profar with the injury, but they traded Luis Sardinas in the Giovanni Gallardo deal. Rugnet Odor, give me your thoughts, please. Uh, I like him, especially if I can buy him as a backup and everybody else thinks Profar is the starter because I think there's a decent chance that, that Odor could take that job. 
you know, there was a couple indicators. One, pitchers threw him fewer fastballs in the second half, so they they saw that he was that he Getting was hitting, hitting the the crap out of their fastballs. They saw that he had legit power. So uh, I think that there's there's definitely power upside remaining for him. I mean, you can look at the minor leagues and see he had way he had better power in Double A both years than he did last year in, in in the majors. That you know it doesn't always work out that guys who do that in the minor leagues. But I think that shows, especially for a guy to have a 224 ISO in double in Double A at um, like 19 years old. Yes, um, I think is pretty exciting. So Odor has serious you know. I would say better power than he showed. He showed league average power. So that's good. You know, the fact that he took uh, 11 tries uh, to steal those four bases suggests to me that he'll he'll get another try, he'll get another chance at stealing those bases. And, um, you know, Profar's health, we just don't know about. I mean, I didn't, I didn't find the, the, the reports on his health to be that exciting this, uh, this offseason. The fact that we heard about another cortisone injection halfway through the offseason, you know, you know, there's there's – there's still a lot of iffiness in Profar's shoulder. And so I think, I think Odor can make the team with Profar and they just sort of make sure that they they're set and, you know, and try to, you know, use Odor to keep everyone healthy. Yeah. I'm, I'm nervous about Profar. I, I was definitely on that train that was, you know, jam packed. I certainly was not on a limb liking Profar when he was coming up. He was a blue chip prospect who everyone was raving over. Uh, so unfortunate with the shoulder issue. Odor, and again, you you, you kind of mentioned it, but he skipped AAA to come up and do that and, and almost be a league average guy at age 20. That's so impressive. So yeah. I think there's some really big ceiling here. It might It's not going to all come at once. So I'm not saying go out and, and over-invest in him, but even uh, 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 two steps forward this year instead of the seven steps that maybe he has to his ceiling, two steps forward puts him just above league average, second base. We can get him late, middle infielder type. I really like this guy a lot, so I, I wanted to hit on him for sure. I'm glad that uh, you're kind of backing that up as well. Um, let's talk some some pitching then. It's an interesting group. Obviously, they have the ace at the front, uh, two decent guys, second and third. That's Derek Hall and Giovanni Gallardo. And then the back end is, is a cluttered mess. They're still working back from a lot of injuries. Matt Harrison, Martin Perez, those were two big injuries that hit the club that really impacted their season last year. And then a bevy of kind of – decent-ish, capable minor, uh, major league arms, Nick Tepish, Nick Martinez. They traded for Anthony Renato, Luis Alberto Bonilla. So they got some arms, but they're not all great. How do you feel about this pitching crew? Um, obviously, Darvish is the best, but who do you like best at their value? No, I'm going to fade them all. Fade, fade the whole bunch. I don't know. I mean, like Gallardo in a deep league, there, there were some interesting pieces this offseason about framing – Values. I mean, he's Gallardo is leaving a great framer, so that's yes, that's a bad is. thing. And then Gallardo is also leaving a, an organization that told him to throw his two seamer more, and his two seamer wasn't as good as his four seam. So that's a good thing. So there's there's some competing things going on there, which says to me that they'll, he'll probably end up pretty close to his projections. I mean, maybe a few more strikeouts, you know, maybe a few more walks, um, maybe it all adds up to about the same. So I. Also, age—you know, just another year of age that hasn't been so so kind to him recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was big on Derek Holland early on in in his career, and even told him once uh, to his face that I thought it was his year. I think that was in 2012. Nice. I, uh, I still like him, but I I think you got a butt coming in here about about why you're not necessarily still on him. Yeah, 
it's just that, you know, I, I, I talked to him about it and I was hoping to hear, I think, a little bit more than I heard from him about, you know, how he was going to get by. Uh, and he, he seems to think his change is, is good, but it's not. And <laughs> He's too busy trying to be funny. I mean, no, I'm not going to put that on anyone. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm totally, totally <laughs> kidding. I, I actually love Derek Collins. So, you yeah. know, I know he got some backlash for kind of all that stuff with the always being on the interview and, uh, you know, doing his Harry Carey impression. It was a little bit tiresome, but I, I don't care. That's fine. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. I, I don't want to act like I'm saying you are not going to be a good player because of that sort of stuff. Actually, not, the, not a chance. In the clubhouse, I saw it be very tiresome because he, he was getting interviewed by this lady reporter and um, she had to restart the interview. It was on TV and he, she had to restart the interview like eight times because he kept, you know, blowing her face and stuff. So <laughs> I was like, come on, dude, I just, I'm standing here waiting for you while you're doing this. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So well, nice. hopefully it's not, maybe, maybe it is having a bigger He's impact than I thought. I, I still don't really hold it against him. He's a young guy having fun. I don't care. Whatever. Exactly. Like, and, and we got a pretty good interview, but you know, I was talking to him about the fact that you know, what do you your 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 movement on changeups changing? You know, you trying to improve it, and he's just like, yeah, what you know, I think the changeups good, and you know, I, you know, his curve doesn't have great movement; it's kind of like a slur, um, and it doesn't have good results. He really like uh, he's like a two, he's a two pitch pitcher. He's a fastball slider pitcher. He throws a sinker, uh, which does get decent uh, ground ball. So you, let's give him four seam sinker slider. But the change is significantly worse than league average in all respects, Garbage. in movement, uh, velocity, gap, results. Results, everything. yeah, all and, of it. And the curve, you know, I'm, I'm working right now on what makes a good curve. And it's not, you know, it's not hard enough to be a good hard curve. It's not soft enough to be a good grounder curve. And so as a result, he's, his curve is in the middle there where it gets terrible ground ball rate, 30%. People take it yard all the time. Uh, it's, uh, it's the biggest yard pitch for him in terms of giving up homers. And it, and it doesn't get whiffs like an average pitch. So, and then all of this is predicated on him being sort of 94 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been up and down a little bit. And age alone just says it's going to be down. Yeah, and that, that makes sense. And, you know, obviously had the time off last year, but came back. Did look solid in his uh, in his 37-inning stint there. I still like him, uh, and I, I I hear everything that you're saying, though, and it, and it makes sense. But the, the, the reason that – I'm not going to say I don't care about any of that stuff. I do, but the reason I, make, I can understand or accept some of it is because the price is pretty cheap now. His price has really fallen off. And that's what a missed year will do for you. And it wasn't an arm injury, though. So I, I'm not I, – I can take him I as the – Would buy him on, you know, not the 1.5 ERA. But no, no, no. He showed a 10 10% swing strike rate. You know, he did have a really good, you know, 37 innings. I, I was worried that uh, people would spend too much on him. So Well, right now it's looking like 60, 60 to 65th guy off the uh, – starter off the board, which I can get behind. There are still some names there that I probably prefer – but depending kind of on the makeup of my team, I could see myself, you know, taking him in that in that area of a Casimir, Shelby Miller. I mean, Taiwan Walker's right there. We already talked about that's crazy. Uh, Taiwan Walker. Take, I would take him over Taiwan Walker, especially in like a 12-team mixed league, because you're talking about talking about your your last starter. 100%. Rather rather take Derek Holland, who has a rotation spot waiting and has you know a little bit of upside, but he is 28. 
you know, I faded him most. I faded, you know, a lot of times I have to remember we people play all sorts of different kinds of leagues. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to fade Derek Holland in, in a lot of keeper leagues because this guy's 28 now. And, and you know, velocity get, get losses coming, you know, and, and he's, he's thrown uh, 819 innings and he has, you know, two good pitches. So anyway, uh, but yes, as a final pitcher in a mixed league, I, I, I like him better than Walker, uh, you know, maybe even better than Casimir. Casimir has an innings, um, you know, risk there and uh, a fallback risk, a little bit of regression risk. So. But then uh, after those guys, there's a group of AL East guys that I much prefer: Drew Hutchison, Chris Tillman, Kevin Gaussman. I would, I would, you know, those guys are going a good chunk later than Holland. Uh, so yeah, it, it just kind of depends how the draft plays out. These are ADPs; they're not set in stone at all. Super I get that. Early ADPs. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but he's somebody I'm, I'm definitely keeping an eye on. But I hear you with fading the whole bunch. I've always liked Giovanni Gallardo, but the strikeouts keep fading, and that was the one thing I wanted from this guy was the strikeouts. Now, you mentioned that uh, they might let him throw the four-seamer more. Maybe that can bring the strikeouts back up because I want I want missed bats. I don't want contact in that ballpark from him, although he can be a, a ground ball guy. Um, you mentioned first closers to kind of lose their job. Feliz was high on that list. You think Shepherds or uh, Kayuji Fujikawa? I think Shepard's okay. Um, he's in house. Uh, you know, you're. If you want to say, well, health is an issue for Shepard's, then you have to say health is an issue for Fujikawa. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, he's not too far removed from from Tommy John. So, I think also uh, Fujikawa is the 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 new monkey in the monkey sphere. There's, you know, the monkey sphere says the newest person uh, who's been added to a group of people is on the bottom rung, no matter what. Um, his uh, seniority is by age or whatever. So, okay. Um, I think you know that means that he has to come in there and he has to he has to move past Shepherds. So that that he can do that because Shepherds is kind of a ground ball guy. Not you know there's not a ton of ground ball closers. Usually a strikeout thing. But Fujikawa and Shepherds are are both uh, projected for the same uh, strikeout rate by Steamers. So that that means to me uh, Shepherds in the lead. It, and Shepherds has the velocity, which we've talked about, um, being important. And Felice has had way up and down velocity. And last year had really bad strikeout rate. And just his stuff has not been anywhere close to what it was when he first came up. No, it really hasn't. Um, and then one more thing on the starters, because you mentioned that you are fading the, the group. But I still have to ask you where you're slotting you, Darvish, because obviously you're still going to put him somewhere in the rankings. He's currently a top 10 guy by, by ADP. Uh, right in between Cueto and Granky, how are you feeling by him? And then, and then I guess why are you fading him? Because you know when he's on, the stuff is still amazing, but he had some issues last year. The walks have still kind of always been a bit of an issue. Talk to me about Darvish. He just he hits way too many injury things. I mean, first of all, he was hurt last year. That's the number one injury thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he throws. He throws. Let me get this right. 20, he throws 21% sliders, but that's not true because the cutters uh, have to be – I would count those in there because the kind of cutters he throws. And then he has uh, 10% curveballs on top of that. So basically he throws like 40% breaking balls. Yeah. Um, which is – that's a that's an injury marker. Um, and also he's really cut that slider number down. It was 31% in 2013, which made led me to predict injury, which he had last year. Yeah. Uh, also – 
Um, we did a little bit of a study. Jeff Zimmerman did a little study on when Billy Bean said, I like strike throwers. I mean, he went out and got Kendall Graveman, and the, you know, the, the strike thrower type guy. And he said, I like strike throwers, and part of that is because they stay healthy. Well, uh, Darvish is not a strike thrower. So um, just in terms of walk rate and zone rate, he's not, he's not, a, he's not a real bad command guy. And he, part, part of it comes from the fact that he throws a lot of off-speed stuff. Yeah, part of it is kind of, for lack of a better phrasing, his own choice. Yeah. Because you know, I, I think if he if he changed the approach and just wanted to be a full-on command and control ground ball guy, I really think he could be. But he's out yeah. there doing different things. Trying and to get strikeouts. Trying, yes, trying to get the strikeouts. Trying to go for you know, not go for the no-hitter, but you know what I mean. Really, just get all the swings and misses there, and and kind of creates his own walk issues, and so. But but it still counts. So you can't just say that and then say, hey, we got to build in some some command form. He'd have to make that change, and I don't see that change coming. So I get what you're saying. I still love the guy. I really do. Yeah, but it's really I, fun to watch. I, I mean, I love his ephus. I love watching him pitch. I would just bake in, you know, a couple fewer innings. Yeah, I think you I think you have to at this point. And then with as strong as that upper tier is, if you're going to do that, if you're going to bake in the fewer innings, you probably got to push him down a couple slots. So I get I get exactly what you're saying. I don't have quite on that high, uh, and by just by steamer alone, I I really need to, I really need to get on my rank, especially for AL labor. But um, you know, I don't have uh, by steamer. It goes Kershaw, Scherzer, Sale, Felix, uh, Bumgarner, Strasburg. I don't really have a problem with any of that, um, and I think that's probably what my top would look like. Uh, you know, then you get to Granky, Darvish, Price, and Kluber. I might actually, you know, slot Kluber ahead of Granky. Granky's had some injury issues himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I might slot Price ahead of Darvish because he's been healthier. Yeah, and I, I can I can see that. So you know, then you're pushing Darvish down to a uh, choice between Darvish, Greinke. By Steamer, it's Darvish, Greinke, Harvey, Tanaka. I'll take Darvish out of that group. I would. Uh, I think I would too. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I've I've come around on Greinke. I used to have an issue with him because that's, that's where I that's the hardest decision for me. Darvish was Greinke. Price is ahead. Kluber is ahead. Darvish was Greinke because Harvey and Tanaka. You got to discount. The, I mean, their injury issues are have much, to much more. Yeah, they're now they're having them. Yep. Yeah. You you got <laughs> you, you just got to bump them down. So, um, yeah, it becomes a tough choice there with with like that Greinke, Darvish, and Price trio. Although I hear you with Price, the health that that probably bumps him up. But between Darvish and Greinke, if they're both healthy, there's a 40 strikeout difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up. If unless you have any other thoughts on Texas that you need to get out there, uh, otherwise we're going to wrap up this episode and come back next week with another division. How's that sound? Yep. And how far away are you from now, AL Labor? Uh, just under a month, right? We're talking March 7th and 8th that weekend when we're out there together. Yeah, yeah. So it's I coming up. On. You better, you better get that. And then, hey, auction calculator could be on the horizon. <laughs> Who's to say? I don't know if any of y'all figured out what that means yet. It, it rhymes with that. <laughs> if you haven't, I understand it is a tough riddle, but but it could be on the horizon. That's all I'm gonna say. Otherwise, don't, don't go tweeting at Fangraphs about it because because uh, you know you might get me in trouble with my boss yeah let's let's not get us in trouble let's keep that under wraps do not if you're going to tweet about it just don't put the at fan graphs in there and get us fired oh by the way i want to tell you something because i think you mentioned this guy a while back maybe it was offline to me but i i feel like it was on when we were talking about latroy hawkins adam Adovino, coolest dude in the world love that guy he was on mlb now today and it was fantastic didn't you mention that he was a good dude 
Oh yeah, he went he went and found me. He went and found me in the in the clubhouse because oh, awesome, uh, dude. he tapped on my shoulder and was like, "You write for Fangraphs, don't you?" And then we just talked and talked and talked and we and I I he was like, "How does Steve Sishak do it?" So I went and you know inter- I I went and looked at Steve Sishak for Adam Ottavino and tried to figure out you know how a fastball slider guy uh, avoids having platoon splits. And then apparently Steve Sishak saw the article. And uh, said he liked Fangraphs, and uh, he thought it was funny that uh, that Ottavino was wondering how he did it. And so <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's I, I was really thing. impressed. They had him on for the whole show. If you can catch a replay of that, I, I recommend it. He just seemed like a really good dude, real smart, and uh, just you know, open to always adjusting his craft and wanting to go out there and pitch better. So I definitely recommend that. But otherwise, you know, we will talk again on this podcast on Tuesday. And until then, get your AL rankings done so that you're ready for labor. Yep. And see.